Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Good morning. Welcome to the Vince Coakley radio program. Good to be back with you after a few days away. I wish I could call it vacation. <laughs> Far from it. There's nothing like the flu to really uh, throw you on your rear end for a few days. Because that's exactly what's happened the past few days. And it's just been, frankly, uh, rather miserable. But I'm glad to be back and have the opportunity to connect with you again. I'll talk a little bit more about my adventure slash misadventures coming up a little bit later on. A lot going on in the news that we will delve into during the course of the broadcast today. One of the things we'll delve into is the ongoing concern about war. I am a person very much wants to avoid the idea of panic porn, yet recognizing that all it takes is just one misstep, one misstep. And we are immediately thrown into something that um, really we have no idea of the implications. We'll talk about one Pentagon insider, and that person's warning about what could happen. It's really interesting to watch the all the propaganda associated with so-called clean energy. And there's been this move toward electric cars. This has been promoted as one of the important religious tenets of the environmental movement. Well, one rental car company has decided to jump off of this train and we'll tell you which rental car company that is and what they have decided to do. It's quite intriguing. I mentioned my illness, the flu, the past few days. There's a reason that people have felt sick for longer this time. We'll tell you what is behind this for so many people. Just a preview of some of the things we'll delve into, and obviously we will talk about ongoing political matters related to the Iowa caucuses, Donald Trump's resounding victory the other night. Now everybody moves on to New Hampshire, and we have a little bit of, I don't know what you would call it, but some reactions, we'll just put it that way, from Donald Trump and from the radical left, a woman who I still can't believe has a television show. Talk about desperation. It's uh, clearly a situation where there's very poor judgment <laughs> as it relates to network cable news programming. We'll delve into that a little bit later on. I want to begin here with some things that I'm encouraged by, especially in the political realm. Gallup is out with the new poll. Let me just tell you that I'm, this is where I am now more than ever. I welcome independent thought. That's what I welcome. I am tired of cookie cutter 
politics, cookie cutter religion, cookie cutter, whatever it is, fill in the blank, uh, color by numbers. I, I'm just not into it. I'm not. I like to see people engaging their minds. So I was quite intrigued to see that Gallup is out with a new poll indicating that the independent party ID is tied for a high and the Democratic ID at a new low. This is a twofer. 43% identified as independents in 2023. That's a record from 2014. A record low 27% identify as Democrats, tying Republicans. Republicans maintain a slight edge in leaned party identification. Ideological identification is steady. Conservatives, moderates, the largest groups. But the key thing from this poll, political independents continue to constitute the largest political bloc in the U.S. An average of 43% of U.S. adults identify this way. Tying the record high from 2014. As I said, I'm encouraged by this because I, I think it's good to see independent thought. Independents first outnumbered supporters of both major political parties back in 1991 and have continued to do so since then. Except several years between 2004 and 2008, over time the increase in the percentage of independents has come more at the expense of Democrats than Republicans which might be expected since Democrats were previously the largest political group. Gallup asked respondents in each survey whether they identify politically as Republican, Democrat, or an independent. The results reported here are based on combined data for each year, including interviews from more than 12,000 U.S. adults in 2023. So this is a pretty healthy sample of people they're talking with. Independent identification, up two percentage points in 2023 compared with 2022. So this is showing a direction. A one-point decline in both Republican and Democrat identification. Democratic identification has now declined by one point in each of the past three years. This is certainly not good news for the Democrat Party. These declines in the new low registered in 2023 are likely tied to President Joe Biden's unpopularity. Biden's job approval ratings have largely been around 40% since late 2021 and were consistently below that mark in October, November, and December. The record low for Republican identification was 25%. That was back in 2013. All Gallup survey respondents who identify as independents are then asked whether they lean more toward the Republican or the Democrat Party. Last year, slightly more independents leaned Republican than leaned Democratic. As a result, a combined 45% of U.S. adults identify as Republicans or lean toward the GOP, 43% Democrats or Democrat leaners. Nevertheless, I'm... Encouraged by this trend, I think increasingly it's becoming more evident that we've got in these two political parties what amounts to a uniparty. It may well be worth listening to the message from Nigel Farage when he spoke at CPAC years ago. This has probably been four or five years ago, and he was right on the money. Because he was talking about what's happened in the United Kingdom and how the Labour Party and the so-called Conservative Party 
they pretty much function the same way. It doesn't matter who's in office. It's big government and big business. And I don't see the evidence that anything has changed. And frankly, and I know there are people who hate me for this, but I think the whole MAGA thing is a distraction from really getting to the heart and core of the matter, which gets to foundational constitutional values and limited government. I don't think anybody is more capable of running big government than anybody else. And that's really the conversation we're having. That's the campaign we're having now. People are trying to figure out which person they want to run the big government. Because I've not heard anybody talk about slashing and reducing the size of government. And if we don't do that, we're, we're all just really wasting our time. Just having a debate about who is going to uh, wreck the country best. <laughs> Coming up, another great ruling from a federal judge. Another piece of evidence, the Constitution is still alive. Also, we will delve into our conversation about the presidential contest. I'd like to get your thoughts on the... Iowa caucuses, the upcoming New Hampshire contest. What do you think is going to happen? We'll have that much more as we continue our Wednesday broadcast. Hopefully I'll remember which day it is because everything is all upside down the past few days. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program, if you'd like to join the conversation, our phone number... 704-570-1110, 704-570-1110. We celebrate liberty here, every type of liberty possible. We're talking political freedom, spiritual freedom, personal freedom. These are things that I, as a conservatarian, believe in. Which is why I also am very pleased with this story reported by The Hill. A federal judge rules a ban on firearms in post offices is unconstitutional. A federal judge in Florida ruled a U.S. law that prohibits people from having firearms in post offices to be unconstitutional. U.S. District Judge Catherine Kimball Mazell, a Trump appointee, cited the 2022 Supreme Court ruling New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin that expanded gun rights. The 2022 ruling recognized the individual's right to bear a handgun in public for self-defense. The judge shared a decision in the indictment that changed, that actually charged Emmanuel Ayala, a U.S. Postal Service truck driver, with illegal possession of a firearm in a federal building. Now, unfortunately, this person also had a separate charge of resisting arrest. That was not dismissed. But the judge noted the firearm charge violated his Second Amendment right, saying it is incongruent with the American tradition of firearms regulations. A blanket restriction on firearms possession in post offices is incongruent with the American tradition of firearms regulation. 
Ayala's indictment came after prosecutors stated he took a gun onto the Postal Service property. He fled the location in 2022 after federal agents attempted to detain him and was eventually caught by the Tampa Police Department. Ayala had a concealed weapons permit but was charged under a statute prohibiting having firearms in federal facilities. He happened to carry a 9mm Smith & Wesson handgun for self-defense. The judge said post offices have existed since the nation's foundation and the federal law did not forbid carrying firearms into post offices until 1972. She added restrictions on the grounds of admittance would abridge the right to bear arms by regulating into practical non-existence. And I say good for her. Now, people may have a conversation about, well, what do we need guns in post offices for? You could say this about anywhere. And it's interesting to me, and, and I've said this plenty of times, and I don't mind saying it again. This country has done quite well with the Second Amendment all the way back to its inception. The fact that we've got crazy people now and we have social ills now that have complicated this, it really doesn't undermine what the Constitution says. That hasn't changed. So I'm very glad to see the Constitution upheld in this case, which is ultimately something that will benefit us all. What else am I encouraged by? And I know there are people who can have all kinds of fun trying to take this in a different direction from where it's intended. But who cares? (laughs) I'm also encouraged to see the state of Texas take a stand for the sovereignty of the United States of America and for their own statehood. What am I talking about? Breitbart reports the Texas military seized city-owned border park and ejects federal agents. Let me just tell you something. And this is not personal to the agents. But if you're sitting on your rear end, you're not doing your job, for whatever reason, either you're lazy or you've been given orders not to do your job by the federal government, then I think it's perfectly appropriate that the state steps in and says, hey, this is ultimately our territory, and we're going to do what we need to do to protect our citizens. Here's what's happened. The Texas Military Department seized a city-owned golf course located in the busiest quarter crossing point along the Rio Grande. The Texas National Guard then ejected U.S. Border Patrol agents from the park and took total control of the section of the U.S.-Mexico border. Border Patrol officials told Breitbart News, Texas National Guard units quickly moved into Shelby Park and Eagle Pass, The guardsmen erected barriers around the park and instructed Border Patrol agents to leave the area. This move only serves to raise tensions at the ground level between the state and Border Patrol agents who are bound by policy set in Washington, D.C., the official stated. If the number of crossings we saw in December return, we'll be the first ones the state calls to deal with another humanitarian crisis of that magnitude. 
The Texas Military Department moved quickly to secure the area under the authority of Governor Greg Abbott's emergency declaration and Operation Lone Star. It's not clear what the National Guard soldiers would do if any migrants attempt to cross the border into Shelby Park. Texas National Guard soldiers detained a small migrant group along a Texas-built border wall not far from Shelby Park to not clear what actions they will take toward the migrants. Breitbart, Texas, reached out to the office of the Texas governor and the Texas military department with questions regarding the state's legal authority to lock federal agents out of the park. Border Patrol agents have the statutory right under federal law to enter any property, including private property. The Texas military department said the current posture is to prepare for future illegal immigrant surges and to restrict access to organizations that perpetuate illegal immigrant crossings in the park and greater Eagle Pass area. A spokesperson reiterating the National Guard has maintained a presence with security points and temporary barriers in the park since 2021. The governor's office so far has not issued an official statement. Just This is just the latest in showdowns between the governor's office, and the federal government. And it's very appropriate. I told you before, folks, if we, we want this country squared away, it's got to happen at the state level. The state's going to have to take this back. And I think it's time that other states stand up and say, look, we're with Texas. If you don't want to do your job, federal government, we will come together again. This gets back to the idea of a convention of states then we will come together and make sure this gets done. I, I'm very much ready for this kind of discussion. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program, before we talk about Iowa and New Hampshire, I want to talk about something very close to home. You heard about this story in the news how many of you are just, you're just at a point of kind of throwing up your hands in seeing the violence that has taken place in our community, especially when it happens among teenagers, which has happened yet again. This one in East Charlotte. One dead, another injured. This happened yesterday afternoon. Just heartbreaking. Fourteen-year-old basketball player from the school was fatally shot last month in his home. CMPD asking anyone with information to give them a call. Usual numbers, Crime Stoppers, 334-1600. I want to get your thoughts as to uh, how close is this violence to you? And I'm, I'm not just talking in terms of proximity in the community, that sort of thing, but is there a sense which many of us feel removed from this because we're not in, quote, those neighborhoods or whatever? Is there a sense in which we kind of dismiss these kinds of things 
just based on the idea that this is a totally different demographic, might be in a different area of town than where I live. I mean, in all honesty, I can't think of crimes like this. Certainly, they've grabbed my attention up in either area where I've lived. But it's very easy to, unfortunately, dismiss these kinds of things for that reason, because they seem remote. What is the solution? What's really missing? I'm of the belief that the big cause at the root of many of these issues, I think, comes back to fatherlessness. I think this is where we're losing this battle with the disintegration of the family. The question is, how do we put this back together? And I'm, I wrestle with this because I, I wonder how many people really are on the level of thinking that deeply about this beyond just the tragedy of the event and then they move on until the next one. And then they're sad again. Are we going to stop at some point and say, you know, what do we need to do differently? How can we have an impact? Even if we, we don't think that it necessarily affects us. But it is tragic to see these things continue. Tragic and so unnecessary. I don't know about you. I enjoy watching some of these crime shows. And as I watch them, one of the things that strikes me in so many of these situations is the the trivial nature of these crimes. And by that, I mean the reasons why people kill. Most of the time, it's really absolutely something stupid. Absolutely stupid. A misunderstanding. It's the wrong person. It's It's... Somebody just having a bad day. And I'm convinced, again, one of the big issues here is we've got a need for, especially young men, to learn how to exercise self-control and exercise control over their emotions. This is something that men need to teach young men. They're not going to learn this from women very well. Now, you can call me sexist. You can call me whatever you like. But this is an area where our young men are really in trouble. And unless we change course, we're going to get more of this. Because I don't see a lot of interest in building families. I see more and more people just celebrating this this, uh, haphazard thing of just having children outside of wedlock as if it's no big deal especially you know in my pet peeves honestly these celebrities and i don't need to mention names who are having babies all over the place with children they will never never have the opportunity to spend the kind of time with that they need to it's selfish is what it is Go and sterilize yourself. If you want to go around and you just want to have sex, indiscriminate sex, 
get sterilized. We just do not need more fatherless children. Any case, I think this is at the heart of so many of these issues. Matthew, who I haven't heard from in a while, writes in on social media, I feel you, Vince, married with four kids. Nothing better than family. Amen. Completely with you on that. And speaking of social media... I made reference earlier to the Constitution upheld with this ruling on having a gun at the post office. Russell writes, this is great news for freedom. However, I really dislike how people keep covering news like this Bruin decision as expanding gun rights. In every one of these cases, we're simply rolling back unconstitutional restrictions on rights. What they call it an expansion of First Amendment rights. If after banning a church from gathering, they later say that was a mistake. See, you're absolutely right, Russ. See, the, uh, a lot of times we're behind the eight ball here. We're, we're at a place where we're trying to push back to what the Constitution already says. We're trying to gain, regain ground. So we're really not expanding anything. We're recovering what we're supposed to have in the first place. Very appropriately said. Still to come. Let's talk about Iowa, New Hampshire. What are your thoughts? Are you pleased by what happened in Iowa? And what are your expectations about New Hampshire? We'll have a couple of perspectives on what is ahead from a candidate and from a um, TV personality who should probably have the theme song, If I Only Had a Brain. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, by now you know Donald Trump, the overwhelming winner out of Iowa, coming in at about 51%. Beyond that, we had the Florida governor. And after that, Nikki Haley coming in third place. Vivek Ramaswamy coming in fourth and therefore suspending his presidential campaign. Did you see them making nice? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but... I um, I just find it entertaining. That whole relationship from the very beginning, it's very questionable what has been going on there, the whole Ramaswamy thing. I wonder how much of this was really an effort to provide another cover for Donald Trump because they're, they seem buddy-buddy now. You would think a few days ago that Ramaswamy was just the devil himself, according to Donald Trump. Nonetheless, Newsweek reports Donald Trump has meltdown over Nikki Haley, launching a series of social media attacks against his Republican primary rival, Nikki Haley, after he easily beat her in the Iowa caucus. 
Former president shared multiple attacks on Haley, who worked as U.N. ambassador in the Trump administration on Truth Social over the space of a few hours. These attacks include sharing polls showing he is the better suited GOP candidate to beat President Biden in the 2024 election, saying she wants to cut Social Security benefits and increase taxes, and accusing the former South Carolina governor of being an establishment candidate. Aha. Uh-huh. Also likened her to Trump's 2016 challenger, Hillary Clinton, by posting a photo that imposed Haley's face over an image of Clinton. My goodness. These attacks come amid suggestions Haley and not Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who came a distant second in Iowa, is Trump's biggest challenger of the race for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination. The New Hampshire primary on January 23rd is expected to be a closer race, with some polls showing Haley has narrowed Trump's lead there to single digits. In one truth social post, Trump attacked Haley over her speech following the Iowa caucus results, which, while misspelling her now unused first name, Nimarada, did you know that? In that speech, she said, when you look at what we're doing in New Hampshire, in South Carolina and beyond, I can safely say tonight, Iowa made this Republican primary a two-person race. Two-person race. Because that will be the contest the next time around. Haley made the claim the primary is, is now just between her and Trump, despite finishing behind DeSantis. She came in at 19%. Florida governor got 21%. Trump enjoying a record 30-point lead with 51%. Anyone listening to Nikki Nemrata Haley's whacked-out speech last night would think that she won the Iowa primary. She didn't. And she couldn't even beat a very flawed Ron DeSanctimonious, who's out of money and out of hope. Trump wrote this going back on the offensive after the conciliatory plea for unity he made after his Iowa win. (laughs) My goodness. Nikki came in a distant third. She said she would never run against me. He was a great president. She should have followed her own advice. Now she's stuck with weak policies and a very strong MAGA base, and there's just nothing she can do. (laughs) My goodness. I want you to get some perspective as well from the radical left, the idiotic left. I was watching these comments for the first time with a friend the other night, and I'll tell you what he immediately observed about this. This is Joyless Reed, who made some comments about Nikki Haley and why she cannot win in this MAGA-dominated Republican Party. Here's Joyless Reed. New Hampshire. And I think to the point that you made, Steph, I mean, it's the elephant in the room. She's still a brown lady that's got to try to win in a party that is deeply anti-immigrant and which accepts the notion that you can say immigrants are poisoning the blood of our country. She's getting, you know, birthered by Donald Trump. Um, And I don't care how much the donor class likes her, which will ramp up a lot, the better she does in New Hampshire. So it's still a challenge. I don't see how she becomes the nominee of that party with Donald Trump still around. I can't picture it happening. Maybe it could happen. 
she's still a brown lady that's got to try to win in a party that is deeply anti-immigrant and which accepts the notion that you can say immigrants are poisoning the blood of our country. Isn't that crazy? A brown lady. And this is why Nikki Haley's not winning. I mean, this, this woman is a nut. By the way, my friend who's watching this video noticed, noticed this crazy woman. And you know what? Her hair is blonde. So here she is referring to this brown woman. So what do you have in Joyless Reed? Is she trying to be white with her blonde hair? I'm just asking. We'll talk about health in the next hour. Stay with us. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome to hour number two of the Vince Coakley Radio Program. On this Wednesday, I am, uh, wow, feeling so much better than I was earlier uh, in the week, certainly over the weekend. In fact, the plan, I think it was off on Friday, and the plan was to go to Kentucky, and we were in the process of relocating my mom from one facility to another, and my plan was to go and help my sister on Friday. I woke up Friday morning. I had this subtle cough for a few days, but by Friday morning, it just was just, it was unbelievable. It just wouldn't stop. And I came to the conclusion by mid-morning, I, I can't do this. I should not go and expose my mom to this. So by Saturday, it was fully on. The sinus uh, problems, the aches, the body aches, the fatigue. I just felt like crap on Saturday. It was just horrible. So Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I was just sick. It was all there was to it. Just sick. Finally, on Monday, because I think it was Monday, I went to the doctor's office, and, and this was kind of surreal for me because I it, it really took me back to the COVID days. Because I, I mean, I took a COVID test, by the way, and, and saw that it was negative. So I wasn't concerned about COVID. But I went into the doctor's office, and you know how the protocols are at the office. It's so weird because they have you stay in your car. <laughs> this was so strange. So here I am sitting in the car and I had seen this before with other people. And I thought, wow, you must, you know, those people must really feel like lepers <laughs> as they're being uh, checked out outside of the medical office. Cause they don't want to expose people uh, for obvious reasons. So the nurse came out, took my temperature, blood pressure, all of that, and, and did the COVID tests. Oh, and you know those COVID tests. You know how those go down. Will they stick the thing up your nose? I mean, I have a bad uh, gag reflex anyway. Oh, my gosh. 
it, it, it she went way way back there and it seemed i mean i'm sure it was just only a couple of seconds but i both sides and it just i thought it was gonna die i know kind of dramatic anyway as i expected the uh COVID test was negative waited for a while i mean it was just a few minutes um because I think I mentioned to you that I have moved. And it's really funny because my doctor lived in the neighborhood where I lived. And uh, so it's kind of weird driving all the way back up there, that part of town, now being in South Charlotte, going back up there into that area to the doctor's office. They actually worked me in, which I'm very pleased that they were able to do that. So finally, the doctor comes out, and I I greeted him as, you know, good to see you again, former neighbor. Mentioned that I had moved away uh, because it was kind of cool. I'd run into him several times because he likes to jog in the neighborhood, and I ran into him several times as he was out for a morning jog. But he said, it's not COVID. You've, you've got the flu. That's what it is, and you're on the other side. You're, you're beyond the point of contagion. So... Uh, you just need fluids, just get some rest, and hopefully, you know, this thing will blow over in a couple of days. So, um, yeah, that was a very interesting experience because, again, it took me back to those COVID days of watching other people get checked out in the car. And this time it was me. It was rather weird, but. Nonetheless, I am still here and bouncing back. Thank goodness. The turning point kind of happens um, overnight. I mean, the main lingering thing I was wrestling with was congestion. That just was very, very stubborn. Uh, just continuously uh, nose running. Um, it was just aggravating. Absolutely aggravating. And, and fortunately, overnight was a turning point to the point where I felt comfortable enough to be back with you today. So here I am. This story reported by Nexstar. You're one of the many, many people who got sick this holiday season. You might still be feeling pretty bad weeks after you were first infected. Whether it's COVID, the flu, RSV, or even the common cold, there are several reasons people feel like they're staying sicker longer this year. It has nothing to do with the latest variants or strains. This doctor, Amber D'Souza, an epidemiologist at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, said there's no evidence. I've seen there's something in current strains themselves that makes them harder to clear. However, with so many viruses circulating at once, it's possible people are experiencing back-to-back infections of different things, extending the length of time they feel sick. Also possible, your immune system is a bit out of practice. With the COVID pandemic, including masking, social distancing, and isolation, we've had relatively mild flu and cold seasons these past few years. Because of that, our immune systems have taken a break, and with new exposures this year, they're kicking into high gear. Your immune system's response to fighting off a virus is actually much of the reason you feel sick. Common symptoms like aches, fever, and fatigue can all be explained by your immune system working in overdrive. This is likely the reason for patient perception of increased symptom severity 
or prolonged clinical course. Now, this doctor, Corey Fisher, family medicine doctor at Cleveland Clinic, agreeing with D'Souza, there's nothing about this year's strains or variants that make them extra bad. With many of these infections, it's common for certain symptoms to linger. Colds and seasonal infections are just about as bad as they've been any other time. If you're trying to get better faster, rest, staying hydrated, humidifying the air you're breathing, gargling salt water for a sore throat. Boy, where have you heard that one? Mom and dad. And using some over-the-counter medications for both COVID and flu. There are also antiviral medications that can help out. Call your doctor if cold symptoms last longer than two weeks. If you have a high fever for more than three days, your symptoms start worsening. I also love... I'm not doing any commercials for these people, but one of the things, as soon as I start getting something, I always take airborne. I swear by this stuff. It seems to be very, very helpful. And my favorite flavor is elderberry. Uh, I'm looking at this now. Uh, it's, it is so anti-medicine taste. I love it. <laughs> I, I take this several times a day and it does help to boost your immune system and it's really one of the major reasons why I still have a voice I'm convinced so love to get your thoughts or your stories if you have any experiences you'd like to share with a cold, a flu, RSV whatever you might have dealt with over this post-holiday season still to come we will talk about war We will talk about electric cars and those Alaska Airlines passengers. What did they get for all of their trouble when that plug door came off? We'll talk about this much more as we continue. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Confused with Vince McMahon, huh? That's pretty interesting. Love to get your thoughts as we continue our broadcast. If you have any horror health stories that you would like like to share on our broadcast this morning. I want to talk about what's going on militarily. As you know, since the events of October 7th, we've had a number of terrorist organizations basically decide it's, you know, it's open season on America. Let's go attack Americans wherever. Now, one of the organizations that's been attacking us, based out of Yemen, the Houthis. By the way, a little history on the Houthis. At the very beginning, let's go back to the Trump administration. During the Trump administration, this was declared to be a terrorist organization. Under the Biden administration, that terrorist designation was removed. Yes, The Biden administration removed that designation. Now they're going to redesignate this group as a terrorist group after its removal from the foreign terrorist organizations list in 2021 after repeated recent attacks in the Red Sea. Officials told Fox News it wasn't clear if the Houthis will be placed under the same designation but there are a number of sanctions options that can be used in lieu of a formal FTO finding. 
This comes as the Houthis have launched dozens of attacks on commercial ships in the Red Sea. The group said the attacks are in response to Israel's military campaign against Hamas, the Gaza Strip. Hours earlier, Houthi fighters launched anti-ship ballistic missiles from Yemen into the Red Sea. Houthi fighters and tribesmen staged a rally against the U.S. and the U.K. strikes on Houthi-run military sites in Yemen. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken delisted the Houthis as both a foreign terrorist organization and as specifically designated global terrorists in February 2021 as the Biden administration sought to make it easier to get humanitarian aid into Yemen. How nice of us, stupid morons. I mean, these people really are morons. This was a reversal of former President Trump's decision to place the Houthis on the FTO list over the strong objections of human rights and humanitarian aid groups in the waning days of his presidency. Foreign terrorist designation barred Americans and people and organizations subject to U.S. jurisdiction from providing material support to the Houthis, which the group said would result in an even greater humanitarian catastrophe than what was already happening in Yemen. By the way, militants have threatened or taken hostage marine mariners from more than 20 countries thus far. So this tells you how much these folks respect America and Americans. And there's really only one language they understand. It's force. It's not necessarily what we'd like to hear. But that's reality. UK Express has this story. Pentagon insider warns we're on the brink of World War III after the latest Iran attack. A source inside the U.S. Pentagon has warned the world is on the brink of a major conflict as Iran and its allies continue to launch attacks across the Middle East. This warning comes as Iranian-backed proxies destabilize the Middle East by attacking Israel and U.S. targets as well as international shipping in the region. Iran itself has also carried out strikes in neighboring Iraq and Pakistan, as well as Syria sending tensions soaring. Defense expert Nicholas Drummond echoed concerns the conflict in the Middle East could potentially escalate, but warned if Tehran directly attacked Israel, the ensuing war would be the end of Iran. Oh, I'm sure it would be. This is why they're not going to do that. They're going to play this little game, this little tit-for-tat game, and hope it stays on that level. Speaking to the Daily Express, this expert said Iran's agenda in the region and globally has been exposed, and Iran is on the back foot. Iranian-backed proxies, including Hezbollah, have been working to destabilize the region. The West is saying to Iran, behave yourself or we will attack you directly. Adding, I think it's quite highly possible if Iran continues to act through proxies or to act directly in a way that threatens Western interests, we could see military action taken against Iran. That would be a major conflict in the Middle East. It's unclear whether Iran is prepared to engage in such a conflict, which according to Mr. Drummond would spell disaster for the regime in Tehran. I think Iran has to be very, very careful. It's been playing a dangerous game. And it's about to get punished if it doesn't step back.
You saw Iran fired a missile into Syria. It was ostensibly taking out rebel targets, but it was also demonstrating it has a missile capable of reaching Israel from Iran that could have with it a nuclear warhead. It could target Tel Aviv. And of course, if Iran did that, it would be the end of Iran, frankly. <laughs> Mr. Drummond branded Iran as the biggest threat to world peace at the moment. A stark assessment of the situation in the Middle East coming as Iranian proxies target the U.S. and Israel. In and from Syria, Iraq, Yemen, Lebanon, and elsewhere. And we've already talked about the attacks out of Yemen, which are also based, ultimately, in Iran. So hopefully this does not escalate further. But they certainly need to get a message, a very strong message, that we are not playing around. Whether they get that from this administration, that remains to be seen. Still to come on the broadcast, one of the reasons why that region is so, so volatile, the oil industry... And we've got people who want us to be less dependent on the oil industry, not so that we can pull back from the Middle East, but so we can pursue green energy. How is that working for us? Well, how is that working for a major rental car company? We'll tell you what they have decided coming up. Also, you heard the story about the Alaskan Airlines plane. They had the plug door that came off. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Well, how much compensation do these folks get so far? We'll tell you as we continue our Wednesday broadcast. You know, it's pretty interesting to watch all of the stories lately about electric cars. And what I've seen lately, the news has really not been good at all. I was watching a story last night about people having uh, essentially competition to be able to get their cars charged because there are more cars than there are chargers at some key locations it's been a pain and people are also learning about the additional costs this is not just an individual decision that's happening this is also a corporate issue case in point rental car companies Hertz in particular Breitbart reports green new flop Hertz selling off 20,000 electric cars to buy gas-powered cars. Boy, these people are really violating a very important religious sacrament here. They're going backwards. They're going the wrong way. This is not supposed to happen, folks. In a blow to President Joe Biden's green energy agenda, rental car company Hertz selling off tens of thousands of electric vehicles due to a lack of demand to buy gas-powered cars. 
They they announced this decision last week. They will sell 20,000 EVs from their fleet. That's 33% of the company's total of EVs. In return, Hertz will use the money from EV sales to buy gas-powered cars, which executives say are in much higher demand than EVs. Is this a surprise to anybody at all? This is what happens when you try to drive an agenda that is not in step with where the American people are. The dramatic about face after Hertz announced plans in 2021 to buy 100,000 Tesla vehicles underscores the waning demand for all electric cars in the U.S. EV sales growth slowed sharply over the course of 2023 rising just 1.3% in the final quarter as consumers were put off by high costs and interest rates. The chief executive officer, Stephen Schur, for Hertz, said in an interview, the elevated costs associated with EVs persisted. Efforts to wrestle it down proved to be more challenging. Due to a lack of demand, Hertz executives said their plans to buy 175,000 EVs from General Motors and 65,000 from Polestar may be delayed. This news, as American auto dealers have warned, consumers are far less likely to buy EVs over traditional gas-powered cars, despite all efforts from the Biden administration to get Americans into EVs. American car dealers warned Biden in a letter last year. The reality is that electric vehicle demand today is not keeping up with a large influx of EVs arriving at our dealerships prompted by the current regulations. EVs are stacking up on our lots. See, this is what you don't want if you're a car dealer. You don't want them stacking up on your lot. The Biden administration's massive taxpayer-funded investments into EVs have yet to come to fruition. For instance, the $7.5 billion allocated to build electric chargers across the U.S. has yet to produce a single charger. Not one. See, this is just, this is just wasteful. $7.5 billion. And I wonder how much is, of this is borrowed money anyway. I'm sure by now you recall the terrifying flight of Alaska Airlines 1282. Next, our reporting. The passengers were provided with a cash payment after that door plug blew off the aircraft. The money was provided in addition to a refund. Alaska Airlines provided a full refund to each guest as an immediate gesture of care within the first 24 hours we also provided a $1500 cash payment to cover any incidental expenses to ensure their immediate needs were taken care of the payment was provided without any stipulations or conditions how generous of them $1500 passengers will also have access to mental health resources and counseling sessions isn't that wonderful (laughs) fortunately no major injuries reported in this particular incident but as you know all of those planes were grounded 
the door plug issue. That's still under investigation. In the meantime, a Seattle firm has filed a class action lawsuit against Boeing on behalf of some of the passengers who feared they would not survive the flight. Surprise, surprise. You can imagine lawyers are all over this one. Unfortunately, although everyone is glad the blowout occurred while the crew could still manage to land the aircraft safely, this nightmare experience has caused economic, physical, and ongoing emotional consequence. The consequences that have understandably deeply affected our clients and is one more disturbing black mark on the troubled 737 MAX series aircraft. That's from Daniel Lawrence, an attorney representing the passengers. No comment from Boeing on this particular lawsuit. And this is probably the first of other lawsuits that will be filed in this case. (laughs) This broadcast not yet over already. Looking ahead to tomorrow... And some of the uh, somewhat entertaining stories we will delve into, one of them, the idolatry that I have decried within the so-called evangelical community, and we'll talk about the DEI policies of a major airline, (laughs) and one of the reasons why this airline, at least one executive, seems to be behind so many of these policies it's a reason that's very personal i mean i cannot believe what i'm looking at i there are just some really off people in this world i i don't know how else to say it they're just some people who i think are uh, examples of mental illness It's not politically correct to say that, but I said it. We'll talk about it, Lord willing, on tomorrow's broadcast. All right. Here we are, the final stretch of the broadcast here on Wednesday. Time for us to take a look at the day in history. Bernie, how are you today? I'm great. Hope you are, Vince. I'm glad you're back, man. I'm glad you're feeling better. Well, thank you. It's, um, I wish I uh, was here the past few days. We had many people... Many people calling and wishing, wishing you well and uh, hoping you'll be back soon. They could tell it was a best of, unfortunately. <laughs> well, thank you. I do appreciate And also in, important to mention, I'm sure uh, much of that is your hard work in putting together those best of episodes as well. So well, thank you for your hard work. Absolutely. I appreciate it, man. It's happy to do it. Yeah. We have a total of nine items here on our look of the day in history. Beginning of the year, 17... 17- Oh six, this guy was born. He is the one who's credited with electricity. Oh, Ben Franklin. Bren, ben Franklin. He was born in seventeen oh six, eighteen ninety three. The Hawaiian monarchy was overthrown by sugar planters and businessmen. Mm. Nineteen fifty, thieves pulled off. A bank robbery in Boston. This was a Brinks Bank robbery. 1953. Let's see if you know this one, Bernie. GM unveiled this muscle car at Motorama. 1953 was the year. 
What did GM come out with? My sister's favorite car. I think she has one, as a matter of fact. Mmm. Muscle car. Muscle car. Ah, I don't know. What is it, Vince? The Corvette. Oh, the Corvette. Okay. All right. 1953 was the year. 1966, someone at NBC gave the green light to make The Monkees. Have you ever seen that show, by the way? I don't think I have. I've heard of the band The Monkees. Yeah. But I've not yeah, seen the I, show. I haven't either. It looks somewhat interesting, but not enough to watch, which I haven't yet. 1977, murderer Gary Gilmore executed, bringing back the death penalty. 1994, Paula Jones accused this president of sexual harassment. Who was it? You said 1994. Would that be Clinton? You better believe it. All right. I mean, not all right that that happened, but but I got the answer right. (laughs) You did, of course. 1995, the Rams announced a move from this city to St. Louis. Los Angeles. Los Angeles. And 1997, a lot of people don't realize this. But this country, Ireland, granted the first divorce in that country's history. Wow. Isn't that amazing? 1997, they've only had divorce in place for essentially, what, 27 years now. So, wonder how that's going. So, to have a little fun as we close out, have you ever gone to some of these places and you see those electronic billboards and... People have a little bit of fun, and they put funny messages on them. Have you noticed that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes there are serious messages combined with comedy. The idea is to, you know, to make sure that they're trying to get your attention and for you to be safe. Well, this is how... (laughs) <laughs> this is how I don't know uh, I don't know what you would call these feds. Um, they think it's a priority that we not have humorous electronic messages on highways. No joke. The feds are banning humorous electronic messages on highways. Humorous and quirky messages on electronic signs will soon disappear from highways and freeways across the country. And can we get rid of, rid of billboards, too? Those are more distracting to me. Like, they take your eyes off the road completely. Exactly. Exactly. At least the signs are over the road. You know what I mean? I you know what, though? The other signs generate tax revenue. Mm. It's all about the money, Vince. They love money. So the U.S. Federal Highway administration has given states two years to implement all the changes outlined in its new are you ready for this 1100 page manual released last month including rules that spells out how signs and other traffic control devices are regulated signs with obscure meanings references to pop culture or those intended to be funny will be banned in 2026 they could be misunderstood or distracting to drivers 1100 pages Definitely people who don't have enough to do. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Have yourselves a great day and God bless you. Adios.